We can turn to begin to Acts 17 tonight. Um, Acts 17, but we're going to be studying 1 Thessalonians 1. But just as we begin, we'll have a little context of uh, where this letter is written from and uh, when it took place. But let's let's uh, have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump in together. <clears throat> God, we thank you for this evening, and uh, thank you for the time that we can get together uh, and just study your word. God, I thank you for the songs that we've just sung. Uh, we thank you for the, the deep love that we have experienced in the person of Jesus Christ. And God... We know that love started in your heart, and it's something that we have experienced, and I pray that we would share that love with others. pray as we begin this study in 1 Thessalonians that you would help our hearts to understand what it is that Paul is writing to them, why he's writing to them, and as they were facing difficulties in their lives because of their faith, we understand that he was writing to them about a true and lasting hope, and I pray that as we face these same things, God, that our hearts would be settled in the hope that you have provided for us through Christ. So work in our hearts tonight as you see fit. God, do with the kids' ministry downstairs. Help them to have fun and uh, help them to learn about you in a way that um, they'll never forget. We just thank you for the opportunities you give us. May we use them and uh, take advantage of them for our good and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So First Thessalonians, um, the title of the series as we go through it will be lasting hope. And tonight is going to be a lot of introduction. Um, as I said, we'll spend some time in the book of Acts and, and probably uh, only get into verse 1 or through verse 1 um, because there's a, a lot to kind of understand about why this book was being written, who it was being written to, when it was being written. And some people love the introductory stuff. I I'm actually do. I love to sit down and start studying a new book because you get to, I don't know, it's almost like opening a, a, a box of memories. So like when we were kids, we used to go to my parents' house and she had this basket full of pictures and we would, um, well, we didn't go there when we were kids. We lived there when we were kids. But when we left the house, we would go back and we'd pull out that basket and just start looking through the photographs. And to me, every time I unpack or open up a new letter or another letter, it's like remembering things I've heard, but then piecing them together in a different way. And so as we start First Thessalonians we're going to do a lot of that tonight, just kind of looking back and understanding um, when and where and why this was written, and then we'll get into the introduction a little bit as well. But 1 Thessalonians is, is likely the first writing that we have uh, from the Apostle Paul. He visited, visited Thessalonica on his second missionary journey, and he was there for about a month, and that's what we'll see in the book of Acts. And then he was forced to leave because the, the gospel brought with it great conflict. Uh, Thessalonica was really an up-and-coming area. It was on the, the Roman road, so to speak, the trade route that went through there. And so there was a lot of sinfulness that was taking place in that city. And when the gospel comes into a place, what does it attack? The idea of sinfulness. And it, it, it points to this reality um, that there is one God who deserves to be served, and his son, Jesus Christ, is the Savior of the world. But while Paul was there, he, he reasoned with um, the Jews and the Greeks uh, over a period of about a month. And while he was there, many of those Jews and Greeks believed. They heard the truth of the gospel for the first time and their lives were changed forever. And all this kind of plays out for us in Acts chapter 17. And so if you'll turn there, or if you are there, we'll just read through, uh, we'll break it up, but through verse 10 probably. And starting in verse 1, it says, And now when he had passed 
through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, uh, where it was a synagogue of the Jews. And, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reckoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. And so Paul made his way there on his second missionary journey, and as he entered in, Paul did what he always did, right? He went to the synagogue, he went to the Jews first, um, and oftentimes he was met with great opposition from the Jews. And after he was met with opposition from the Jews, he found himself talking to the Gentiles, those who would listen to him. And so Basically, what Luke tells us in Acts 17 is that Paul followed his normal pattern. He went into, unto them, he reasoned with them for three days, he didn't talk about himself, but he talked about the person of Christ, and basically what he did is shared the gospel and showed them from the word of God, which would have been the Old Testament at that time, how Christ is the fulfillment of all these things. He reasoned with, with them this idea that Christ had to have suffered, and he had to die, and he had to rise from the dead, and this is the Jesus that he was preaching to him. And I just love the, the gospel testimony in verse 4 that some believed. And our heart's desire would be that all believed. But isn't it a beautiful thing when some believe? When you preach the truth and some believe. And that, I believe, is, is one of the things that fueled Paul uh, on his missions because he saw such great fruit in, in the places that he went. Now, it wasn't everywhere, but certainly as he walked into one of these cities and he saw people come to Christ, it excited him to continue on. Um, and this didn't turn out to be an easy place to be, but nonetheless, uh, God used him there greatly. And so Paul um, ministered there with Silas. Some believe Timothy was there as well. And these devout Greeks and a multitude of the chief women, not a few, believed the gospel and it changed their lives. Well, things are going well, but if we continue on in verse number five, um, it says this, but the Jews which believed not. Well, that tells us that there was probably some Jews that did believe, right? There were some Jews that believed, but the Jews that did not believe, they moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows, fellows of a baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Again, I, Luke was a masterful writer. Just the way that he wrote things down, it really grips your attention. And even his, his wording there, as he talks about certain lewd fellows of a baser sort, what do you think of when you, when you hear that phrase? Thugs, yeah, like the, the roughest of the rough, the, the people that nobody wanted to mess with. They, they found the, the, the meanest of the mean, and they were going to rough these guys up. Why? Because they were disturbing the good thing that they had going on there. And what was the good thing? A life of sinfulness. If you can think of it, it was probably taking place in Thessalonica, and they were profiting off of it financially. From a religious setting to a, the, the most secular of things you can imagine, they were they were profiting off of these sins that Paul came in and assaulted through preaching the gospel. I don't think Paul went in in every place and named every sin that was happening there, but when the gospel is preached, people take it as an offense because they like their sinfulness. And we often like our sinfulness as well. And sometimes what we struggle with isn't even mentioned, but doesn't the Spirit have a way of pricking our hearts in the middle of a message that has nothing to do with what we're struggling with? And I think that's what was happening here. And so these Jews that did not believe, they, they were jealous, they were angry, they were bitter, and they gathered this group of men together, 
and they set the city on an uproar. Now, what do you think that looked like? Do you think every <laughs> pitchforks maybe like this a scene from Shrek, right? Uh, <laughs> um, do you think they were telling the truth in everything they said? No, they they were willing to say whatever they needed to say to get people on their side and against the Apostle Paul. That's what I hear on the news every advertisement. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so as as Paul was there, um, he found this place that that some received the gospel now became a place of hostility. And the gospel often produces two results. It produces a genuine affection and love for Christ, or it produces a hostility. Now, the hostility is not always seen in the way that it was seen here, that there's riots in the street and a, and, and a group of people against one man. But it, it produces hostility in hearts that don't believe, and that's what was taking place in this situation. So then, as they're, 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 these men are causing the city to be on an uproar, they assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. They were going to have a public trial, right, in, this, in the city square, letting people know that what these people were doing was wrong. In verse number 6, it says, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren of the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. First off, what an accusation to have thrown against you that you've turned the world upside down. And they made that statement and probably didn't even understand the fullness of that statement. They're saying the world is turned upside down because you've disrupted what we had going on here. But really, they were turning the world upside down. From a gospel perspective, they were, they were preaching the truth that changes lives. In verse 7, they accused Jason of receiving them, and, and then they just continue on with their accusations that these do all... Uh, all do contrary to the decree of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And in their accusation, didn't they speak the truth? That there was another king, and his name was Jesus. That Caesar wasn't the top dog, though he claimed to be, and though people loved him as one who was, that they, in this moment, declared the truth, that there was indeed another king, and his name was Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and others, they let them go. And so imagine what that city was like. Probably a relatively peaceful city from a secular perspective until Paul came in. He went to the synagogues, began reasoning with the people. People began getting saved. Um, things began to change. And then these unbelievers, these non-believing Jews, caused quite a stir amongst the rest of the non-believers. And they turned the city upside down because... Paul and his men had turned the world upside down. And as all that's taking place, in verse number 10, the Bible says, And the brethren immediately sent Paul away and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went to the synagogue of the Jews. Now, in verse number 10, what sticks out to you? Bruce. Paul didn't stop preaching. Yeah. He went right into the next city, did the same thing all over again. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He was... He was tenacious in his gospel effort, right? He wasn't going to give up. And the other thing I like, too, you know, sometimes we hear this, you've got to stand firm, you don't quit, stuff like that. Sometimes Paul stayed, and sometimes he left. Sure. You know, it, whatever the Spirit was doing, the circumstances yeah. of the moment. So I really don't like it when somebody is accused of quitting the ministry when they're trying to follow the leading yeah. of God. Yeah. And, and we've had friends face yeah. that. And truthfully, if Paul stayed there, he was only going to make it worse for those that did believe. 
They believed. They, they were firm in their belief. We understand Paul cared about them because he sent Timothy to them later on to check in on them. He wrote two letters to them. He visited them one other time. And sometimes in, in Paul's ministry, the best thing for him to do was get out of town. Why? He was a high-profile guy. And so while they didn't recognize a lot of the other Christians, they did recognize this man who came in and stirred things up. And while it was good that he went in there and stirred things up, it was also good that he left because it allowed things, in some regards, to settle down um, from all the focus being on him to, to him leaving. And then I'm sure they were still angry, right? The people of the city weren't pleased that the gospel was preached there, um, but Paul was gone. And a lot of the times the focus was Paul, and when Paul left, things did indeed settle down. And so I, I like that as well, that when Paul left, he didn't quit because things weren't going well, but he just went to the city and uh, started doing the same thing all over again. I also find it significant that Paul, um, in the short time that he was there, um, these believers are considered brethren, and they sent him away. They're brothers. Like, there, there's a brotherhood in the military that sometimes I get envious of. You see people who have served together, who have gone through combat together, and they truly look at each other as brothers. But truthfully, we have that same privilege as believers, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And while we don't emphasize that as much here in the States, you think of places around the world where people are dying for their faith, where they are kicked out of their own families, who becomes their brother? Their other believers. And what is it that Jesus said when he was teaching, and they said, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. He said, these are my mother. These are my brethren. These are the ones that I, I'm doing life with now. And that's just a reminder to us that while the gospel does bring division, it all, also brings uh, a familial love um, that we don't experience in many other places. Any thoughts on, on all these verses that we've looked at in Acts 17? It kind of gives us an understanding. Again, this was on Paul's second missionary journey. He was traveling um, through the coast, he made his way into Thessalonica, preached the gospel, people got saved. Basically, he got kicked out, and then he went on and did the same thing all over again. Any thoughts on verses 1 through 10? Yes, Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good thought. I also like, and we won't get into it, but as, as Paul moved into the next city, he went to the Berea, to Berea, and who were the Bereans? What did they do when they heard the gospel? They searched the scriptures. They weren't just going to take this man at his word. 
And doesn't that just go to show you there's, there's many responses when the gospel is preached? In Thessalonica, some believed, and they were overjoyed, and, and it, it didn't take much for them to believe. He reasoned with them, that, but, but they believed. Some got angry, kicked Paul out, and then he goes to Berea, and they're like, we're going to search this out ourselves, right? We're, we're not going to fall in uh, to what you say. Maybe they'd been tricked before, who knows, but it just reminds us of the different responses to the gospel. So as, as, go ahead. I like your, your, your mention of the military, because a couple times Paul uses the term fellow prisoners and fellow soldiers. Yeah. You know, when you're in the foxhole with somebody, when you're in prison with somebody, you develop a relationship, you know, and I've never been in the military, yeah. but it's just, uh, you know, Paul was in a real yeah. battle. He was, everywhere. yeah. Absolutely. Well, as, as we turn now to 1 Thessalonians, that kind of gives us the background of what took place as to um, Paul traveling to that place and, and writing um, or getting to know these people. He would then go on later to Corinth, and that's where he would write the letter from. If you have that uh, map, Justin, on the screen, we can kind of see a little bit of, of what this looked like. And so the, the circle there, if you can't see it, is Corinth. The arrow is pointing to Thessalonica. And so as Paul was making his journey... Um, we can see that he came down the coast. That, that, that was the major cities of the day on the coast where he would preach the gospel, where he would um, share with them the truth about Christ. And uh, when he got to Corinth, he kind of had a little reprieve. And so he said, hey, I'm going to write these guys. And, and part of his writing came from the report that he received from Timothy. He sent Timothy to go and check on them. And what did Timothy find? He found this, this church that despite the persecution and the trials and the troubles they were facing, they were thriving. They had questions. They were still young in the faith, so to speak. But when Timothy got there, he was like, man, these guys are doing, they're doing well for all that they're facing. And so when Paul received that word back, um, he was overjoyed. And so he doesn't write them to, to condemn them or, or correct them even so much as he does just to encourage them. And as I read through 1 Thessalonians several times over the last few weeks, it just reminded me that even though a church is good, a church still needs prayer, and a church still needs encouragement. There's three different prayers in 1 Thessalonians, one at the beginning, one in the middle, and one in the end. And Paul, in those prayers, pours out his heart of thanks. He pours out his heart of concern. He pours out his heart of love. And, and when those people got this letter and read it, how do you think it made them feel? cared for, that, that there was somebody who, though he wasn't with them, he was still thinking about them often, and this man who was an example is now saying, hey, you're an example. I came and shared the truth with you, and now you're, you're an example to other believers in other places. And so as I read through 1 Thessalonians, my mind kept coming back to this idea that he was writing to them about hope about the hope that they had, about the hope of what was to come, and about the hope that they were to walk in. And so again, the, the theme of the, the passages or the, the book as I read it is Lasting Hope, and that's what I've titled it. If you don't like it, you can title your own notes, your own thing, and we'll go on from there. But they were facing conflicts because of their allegiance to Christ. They were facing conflict by their own countrymen who did not like what Paul brought to them by way of the gospel. But he, Paul was writing them to let them know that, that there was another king. The accusation is that we're preaching there's another king. And guess what? There is another king. And his name is Jesus. And he deserves our allegiance. He deserves our love. Caesar was not the top dog. Jesus was the, the top dog. And so Paul wrote them to encourage them 
to continue on in their walk with the Lord. Um, this church, as I said, was a good church. And instead of really correcting them, he wrote to encourage them. And I think we'll find that encouragement as we go through this together. The book can kind of be broken up into two sections, uh, as, as most of Paul's letters can be. Uh, chapters 1 through 3 and then chapters 4 and 5. Uh, and as I said a moment ago, within this book there are three prayers. And each one of those prayers, uh, as Paul speaks and, and as his words are penned down, it's beautiful and it's eloquent as he gives thanks to God for these believers who had been a help to him. And, and they're probably thinking in their minds, how have we been a help to you? You were a help to us. But isn't that the way the, the Christian life often works? When you go to be a blessing to somebody else, what are they most often to you? A blessing in return. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to visit somebody and I'm thinking, man, I just want to go encourage them. And I walk away and my heart is overflowing with encouragement. A couple of weeks ago, um, I, I went and saw three older ladies. And um, all of these older ladies, their, their spouses have died. They're at different places in life, different stages of life. But every one of them, all they could say was how thankful they were for the grace of God. Now, I'm, I'm a 38-year-old man walking out of these old ladies' houses. Say that reverently. These old ladies' houses... And I'm, I'm like, man, I, I don't even know if I encourage them at all. But I'm encouraged as a 38-year-old man to think, hey, if these ladies can live their whole life and face the trials that they face and still talk about the grace of God, uh, how, much, how much more should I talk about the grace of God right, in, right here and right now? I saw this, this video the other day, and it was uh, talking about how somebody in the 2000s, when they finally make it to heaven and they meet Paul, and Paul understands like the internet age and all this stuff, he's like, oh, you must have preached the gospel every day when you were on, on social media. You must have shared all these videos about who Christ was. And the person's sitting there thinking, actually, all I did was share cat videos and stuff like that. <laughs> um, uh, we're responsible for the age that we live in, right? To, to preach the truth of Christ. Paul did it in his day, and we need to do the same. And so I, I say all that to say I'm thankful for those ladies who did that to me. They preached the truth of the gospel to me as they, as they bragged on the graciousness of the God as they've lived their lives. And, and it's just a beautiful thing. And so uh, Paul is, is uh, writing this letter to encourage them. He's writing to, to uh, con encourage them to continue on in their walk with the Lord, uh, that they would never give up, that they would never let up, but just continue following the Lord, their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we turn now to 1 Thessalonians 1, as I said, we'll only read verse number 1, um, but it says this, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Talked about how Paul was a good writer, or I'm sorry, Luke was a good writer, Paul was also a good writer. To, to start a letter in this way um, would just begin with such encouragement. And if you read through Paul's letters, even the churches that he had to correct, he still wrote, in an encouraging tone, trying to, to push them along in their genuine walk with the Lord. As he begins, he mentions three people, himself and, and Silas or Silvanus and, and Timotheus or Timothy. And we know about Paul. If you read through the book of Acts, and if, if you haven't, I would encourage you to do so. You're going to understand a lot about this man, and you'll quickly become acquainted with a passionate man who loved the Lord and served the Lord as, as all, his, all the days of his life after he became a believer. He was saved in a miraculous way, and with this salvation brought, uh, was brought complete transformation. 
Um, and as we talked this morning, as we, we looked at Bartimaeus, um, that's what happened to him as well. When, when God worked in his heart through Christ, everything changed. And we often look at guys like this and say, man, they're an anomaly, right? They're so different. They, they got saved and then they went and followed Jesus and the rest of us, well, we don't have to do that. That's what we're called to do, right? That's, that's what God expects or desires from each of us. And so Paul shouldn't be the anomaly. He should be one that we walk in his footsteps as we seek to model his ways as he followed Christ. And so Paul's life is a good picture of a true and genuine gospel work. He never let up. He never gave up. He just continued following Jesus. The next guy we see is, is Silas or Silvanus, and uh, we know little about him. He was seen in Acts 15 as one who supported Paul. Um, that passage in Acts uh, 15, I'm sorry, verse 40 says that, that he was a, um, no, it wasn't Acts 15, 40, just in Acts 15, talks about him being a prophet. He was chosen to go with Paul on this journey. Not only was he chosen, though, but he came with a solid recommendation from his brothers in Christ. They said, hey, if you're going to take somebody, take Silas. This, this guy, he's young, he's excited, he's passionate, and he'll be a help to you in your ministry. And guess what? He was. He stood with Paul through thick and thin. Who was it that, that prayed in the prison cell with Paul at midnight in Acts 16? It was Silas, this young man who had accompanied Paul on these gospel journeys. And together, um, they did indeed see much of the world turned upside down. Silas got to, to witness things that if he hadn't taken that bold step of faith to go with Paul, he never would have seen. And I think that, that's a reminder to us as well that when we don't take the bold and courageous step of faith, we will miss out. We will miss out on seeing the things that, that God is going to do regardless of whether we're there or not. Uh, we're just going to miss out. It's kind of like if, if you were out west and you had a chance to go, go to Old Faithful I mean, they got that thing timed, right? To the, to the minute, they know when that thing's going to blow. And if you're there on that day and you say, yeah, you know, I'm just going to hang out in my hotel room instead of going to see Old Faithful, guess what's going to happen? Old Faithful's going to blow and everyone's going to have their cameras out taking pictures and it's going to be a beautiful thing and then it stops until the next time. I think they got it rigged underground or something because <laughs> that thing goes off too timely. Um, but, but Old Faithful, it's going to erupt. And isn't that true about God? God is going to do what God is going to do. We just have a choice of whether or not we're, we're going to get to be involved in it and be a witness of it. And so Silas said, I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll go. And the, the brethren in that church said, hey, take Silas, he's a good man. And I don't think Paul ever regretted that because Silas was indeed such a help to him and, and he got to see God work through their ministry together in miraculous ways. And then uh, the third man in this trio, and what a trio it was, is, is Timothy. Uh, Timothy also joined Paul, and uh, as Paul came into um, a, a certain place in Acts 16, uh, that's where Paul and, and Timothy met, and, and they seemed to instantly connect. Paul recognized something in Timothy's life that he appreciated, that he, he, he was resonating with, and Timothy was a product of his mother and his grandmother, two faithful women who loved the Lord. His dad was a devout Greek, right? But his mother and grandmother were, were believers of the gospel, and they poured into Timothy day in and day out, and Timothy received the truth that they poured into him, um, and in Acts 16.1, Luke describes Timothy as a disciple, a true follower, a faithful young man. Now, we think of the disciples, who do we think of? The 12 that Jesus chose. We think of Matthias being added to the group uh, afterwards, but we think of the original 12 that Jesus chose. 
And so for Luke to use that word that, that Timothy was a disciple, that spoke highly of Timothy's walk with the Lord, that he wasn't just a young man who was trying to figure out life and flying by the seat of his pants, but he had a plan, he had a, a passion, and he was willing to follow the Lord wherever it took him. And, and we see that. Um, Paul would tell Timothy to go, and what would Timothy do? He would go. He, he appreciated his partner in the ministry, and he valued his, his relationship with him, and he desired to be a help not just to Paul, uh, but to the churches that Paul helped establish. And so while this letter is from Paul, it's in reality from his team, his missions team. Timothy and Silas were helping in the establishing of the churches. Timothy was instrumental in getting a report from this church and encouraging the church and taking that report back to Paul. Silas proved to be a faithful helper in encouraging this church as well. And they all had the same goal, and that goal was to see their name in lights one day. No. What was their goal? To see the church of Jesus Christ established and press on in the thick of the battle. And I think that should be the heart of every pastor in the world. That it's not about having my name in lights. What's it about? Seeing this church that God has allowed me to take part in continue to grow until when? Until I'm off the scenes and another guy comes and can carry the baton and keep running with it until Jesus Christ calls us home. And so they all, they all walk through life with this same goal. And uh, as they wrote this letter to Thessalonica, I'm sure all their hearts were were overflowing with joy as they thought about the work that Jesus did there. Do you ever stop and think about the conversations that we don't have written down that these people had in the Bible? Imagine as, as Paul and Silas fled by night from Thessalonica, like, what are they talking about as they're running down the road? Are, are they fearful? Are they laughing and like, man, we messed those people up with the gospel as they, as they find safety in Berea? Like, what is it that's running through their mind? I imagine there was many late night conversations where they, I don't know, sat around a campfire and said, hey, remember what God did in Thessalonica? Maybe they were discouraged because the trials and persecution were great. And one of them would, would pipe up and say, but yeah, remember what God did back there? He can do it again. And don't we need people like that in our lives who just gently, not, not with a rebuke, not with a, a, a bitterness in their heart, not with a, a tone of disappointment because we get discouraged, but they just gently come alongside and say, hey, remember what God did? He could do it again. Why would we quit when we can continue on in the ministry that God has given us? As, as Paul writes, again, he says this is from Paul and Silas and Timothy. And then he says that this is to the church of the Thessalonians. And then he makes two statements, which I, I think are incredible statements. Number one, which is in God, the Father. Number two, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where was the identity of the church at Thessalonica supposed to be? Not in Paul. It was never to be, hey, Paul started this church, and we have to do things the way that Paul did them when he was here. Their, their identity was to be in God and in Jesus Christ, because that was the sure foundation. It was never said that on Paul the, the church would be built. Who was the church built on? Christ. And the gates of hell would never prevail against it. And so we can just read over this or glance over it as an as a introduction, a fancy introduction, a, a warm introduction. But I think there's more in those words than we can even grasp that, that we think about this thing that we do is not a man-made idea. It was formed in the heart of God and it was built 
on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so when we, when we read things like this, Paul, Paul is not just using flattery. Hey, you're a good church that's, that's in God and in Christ. But it's almost a, a word of warning to remember, hey, you're a church that is in God and in Christ, and you need to live up to that. I've shared this before, that I tell the kids often, you go out in town and you represent two, right? You represent Christ first, and you represent the Frost family secondly. Live up to that. Now, what do I have to do if my kids are going to live up to it? I have to live up to it. I have to have a name worth living up to. My dad, I, I feel, has a name worth living up to. I'm proud to say who my dad is. Proud to say who my grandfather is. Both my grandfathers. And as Paul is writing them here, he's saying, hey, you need to remember that, that you're, you're a church that is founded in the heart of God and built upon the person of Jesus Christ. He says, yes, your church is in this geographic location, but you're established in the Godhead, and in reality, you're established by the Godhead. You see, their local assembly was a part of a greater assembly. The church throughout all history is one. We, we understand it as the universal church. Now, is there local churches? Certainly there is, and that's most of who Paul wrote to. But when we think about the body of Christ, it's a universal church that we're all a part of. My brother Aaron tonight, um, they're, they're doing something down there where they're getting a, I think there's like 14 different churches coming together tonight just for a, 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 a service of, they're going to sing songs and, and have a few different devotions by a few different pastors in the community. And I, I, my heart is overjoyed for him that they have a, a sweet fellowship of churches in the greater Rutland area that are willing to get together to do that. Friends, if we're going to be together in heaven, it might be okay that we got together down here. Do you believe that? If we're going to be together in heaven, why wouldn't we be together down here? And so as Paul is writing to them, he's reminding them that you're, you're a local church in a, in a local geographic location, but you're a part of something much, much bigger than yourselves. You're founded in the heart of God and you're built on the person of Jesus Christ. And he wanted them to understand that because it, it was forming their identity. Um, if, if the world struggles with thoughts of identity, um, I think we can also admit that oftentimes the church struggles with identity as well. That we, we think we have to fit a certain box or be like somebody else or we're going to be criticized. I think Paul's heart for them was, hey, don't worry about being like somebody else. Be like Christ. Don't worry about being like everybody else. Be like Christ. And as you strive to be like Christ and I strive to be like Christ, we'll probably look a little different in our striving, but in the end, who are we going to be like? We're going to be like Christ. And so he was encouraging them to continue on. And so to be in God and to be in Christ, it, 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 it was something that would keep them on the path that God wanted them to be on. It reminded them that they were fighting for something greater than themselves, and it honestly reminded me of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.23. This was at the end of Paul's discourse, discourse on the unimportance of men and the importance of God. Remember the passage where he says, you say you're of Paul, you say if you're of Paulus, but who are we supposed to really be of? We're supposed to be of Christ. And as he, as he writes to them, he, he wants them to remember that they are in Christ, and that's the most important thing that they could claim as their identity. And so uh, as Paul writes, he writes to encourage them in these things. It's interesting as well that as he writes 
Um, and I know there's not a lot of discussion. We'll hopefully have some time for this at the end, but I want to get through these introductory thoughts. As he says there, in God and in, uh, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, he then goes to encourage them as he often did with the two themes. Uh, and what are they? Grace and peace. Grace and peace. And as Paul was writing to the church in, in Thessalonica, what did we learn in Acts 17? That there was a mixture of believers there. There was Jews and there was Greeks. There was two different nationalities, so to speak, that were coming together. And do you think that was difficult in some regards? The Jews who held so stringently to the law? Certainly. What were they looking for ultimately? They were looking for peace. And what did the Gentiles or the Greeks need to understand? That they had to have an order to be brought into the family of God at all. Nothing else but grace. And what is he pointing them to? This idea that, that grace and peace come through the person of Jesus Christ. And when you have true grace and peace, you can be blended together with any sort of people if they have that same grace and peace. And you can walk together in Christian love and in Christian unity. And so even in his introduction, he's addressing two different people groups and calling them to walk in unity when it came to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so while we often, at least... I have been guilty of this. Uh, we, we beat feet through the introductions of Paul, right? Because they all say the same thing. Grace and peace from God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ, yada, yada, yada. Let's get into the good stuff. Let's be real. That is the good stuff. The introduction is the good stuff because it's, he's reminding them of the gospel work that God had done in them. And as we think about the grace and peace that they needed then, friend, um, we also need that grace and peace today. As you think about, about this letter, uh, about what you know of it, um, I don't know if anybody read it this afternoon or if you've read it recently, as you think about Paul and, and Timothy and Silas, um, as you think about the, the background that we saw in Acts 17, even in the choosing of Paul and, or Silas and Timothy to go with Paul on these journeys, uh, anybody have any thoughts that come to your mind in regards to all of this? Bruce. Yeah. From great poverty and in the midst of great persecution, and I'm paraphrasing badly, but he used them as an example of, of giving. Hmm. You know, just these guys just thank Once us. and again, yeah. So let us, <clears throat> that we would let them be part of the ministry, even though they couldn't afford to do it. They thanked us. Yeah. You know, they gave out of the first they gave themselves to God, yeah. and then they gave themselves to us. Yeah. I think that's a good pattern. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that as well. Anybody else? Any thoughts? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have many notes left, and so we might be done. <laughs> don't ever mention this to anyone. <laughs> I'm not wearing the Jordans. No, we can move on to verse number two. It's, it's a pretty special verse as well. But as he talks about the idea of grace and peace, he's calling them into unity uh, with one another as they think about the reason they were there in the first place. And, and I think it's true for us as we think about, I think it's true that we don't often think about grace and peace as much as we should because they're big th themes throughout the whole Bible. I mean, you read the Old Testament and we see God's grace poured out on his people time and time again. And we also see the, the prevailing peace of God in, in very chaotic situations. And that's what drew these people 
um, or that's what knit these people together in the gospel as they served one another in this local church. And I think it's true as well that, that we are only here because of the grace and peace of God. You're not here because of yourself. You're here because you have found the peace, and, peace of God through the grace of God. You found the peace of Christ through the grace of God, and that's what makes a, a, a church strong in unity. Any other thoughts before we move on to verse number two? Annie. And I, I think the good thing to remember is that when you don't even know what you're saying, you have the Spirit of God inside of you who, who prays prayers that you don't even understand you're praying. And that eventually, in my mind, is what brings the peace. Because even though we don't know what we're doing, we run to God. And though we don't know what to say, God knows our hearts. And then through His Spirit, He pours that peace out in us. And that's a gift of grace. And so I, I like that thought, Annie, of... of uh, you know, just this idea of being at peace when we're in God's presence, even when we're not able to find peace in ourselves. And truthfully, we can't find peace in ourselves, but there's always peace in Him. Anybody else? The idea of grace and peace? Anything else we've talked about so far tonight? Yes, Sarah. Yeah. Go visit again. Yeah. Without physically going there, because I have been forewarned that it might not be the best thing. Um, <laughs> hey, Paul got those warnings too. There you go. So as long as it's Burlington School District business, I can <laughs> smile with my mouth. Um, but yeah, so just having that kind of nudge to yeah. to email some of those people that I was really yeah. close with. That's great. Anybody else? Rebecca. moments when 
Yeah, no, I think that's good. Um, we'll take the next eight minutes and just jump into verse two, and if we don't get past verse two, we'll just end early. I mean, that'd be weird, but we could do it. Verse two says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And this, um, this is Paul's first prayer for the church at Thessalonica, um, and he, he really pours out his heart as, as uh, he thinks about them and the work that Christ did in them. And I think it's significant, um, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but who should have been giving thanks in this situation? The church at Thessalonica. Why? Because Paul brought the gospel to them, Right? Like, they should have maybe written him a letter. I'm not saying they, they didn't. Who knows? Maybe they did. Um, but in our minds, that's how we would think of it. Like, shouldn't they be saying, hey, Paul, you know, Timothy came, and here's a letter from us saying, thank you for, for bringing the gospel to us. But in turn, Paul is saying, no, I'm thankful for you. Uh, I'm thankful that, that God did this gospel work in your hearts and in your lives. And he says, we give thanks to God always. What does that tell us? That Paul and Timothy and Silas, what did they do? They talked about this church, as, as we talked a, a little while ago, like this church was dear to their hearts. It was, it was a group of people that they saw the gospel take uh, root in their hearts and, and grow in a short period of time. And then when Timothy brought this word back, um, again, they, they were overjoyed with the truth um, that this church was still established and still moving forward. And so he says, we give thanks to God because God is the one who has knit our hearts together in Christ for you always. Uh, making mention of you in our prayers. Um, I, I say it often, um, and, and just by way of encouragement, to pray for one another. Why? Why would we say pray for one another? It's encouraging. God answers prayers. Yeah. You, Diane Old used to say, and some of you don't know her, um, she said, but you, you can't, and she got it somewhere else, but you can't hate somebody who you're praying for. You can't hold a grudge against somebody that you're praying for. Like if, if you really are praying to them, as we talked about this morning with that genuine cry of faith, that genuine cry to God, if you're really praying for them, then God is going to break down the walls of your heart that have started to been built up, and you'll find yourself with an affection for them. Now, you may not always appreciate them, but you won't hate them. And you'll begin to grow in your love for them. And so that's, that's why we encourage you to pray for one another. And it's, it's not just a good thing, but it's an example for, from those in the Bible. Um, Paul mentions this in many of his letters, how he prays for the believers um, whose hearts had been established in the gospel. And his prayers for them were, were re, uh, rich and, and deep. And his prayer oftentimes was simply for them to remember the work of the gospel that, that God did in their hearts to begin with. And what does that tell us? That we're quick to forget. Um, if, if you were to be honest, and, and don't raise your hand and don't blurt it out, but if you were to be honest, how many of us actually think about the truth of the gospel day in and day out? Like we, we really stop and think, man, I would be on my way to hell if the gospel had not taken root in my heart. Do we really think about that? Like, I, I think, I don't, I'm not saying we have to live there, like, every day with this, man, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. But I think the gospel should be important enough to us that, that we, it does cross our minds, at least 
at the very least, to say, man, I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve any of the gifts of grace that God has given me. And so as Paul is, is writing to them, as he's encouraging them, as he expresses his heart for them in this prayer, he simply wants them to know that, hey, I'm giving thanks for you because of what God did in your heart. I'm giving thanks to God for you, and I pray for you often. And as Patsy said, I don't know about you, but that encourages my heart. When somebody comes to me and says, hey, I've been praying for you, or I get a text and somebody says, hey, I'm praying for you, um, it just encourages my heart to think, hey, there's, there's somebody else that's on my team that is encouraging me to continue on in the, the mess of life that we're in, but for a greater purpose, not for King Caesar, but for King Jesus, right? And, and Paul was just writing to encourage them. Any thoughts on this idea of praying for one another? Bruce? I really, this brings great comfort to me because uh, Paul says, we give thanks always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And I doubt if the Apostle Paul knew the name of every single person in the church in Thessalonica, right. especially since people have been getting saved since he left. And, uh, you know, I've warned my friends on Facebook from the Philippines, because we're friends doesn't mean I'm going to recognize you <laughs> from this little picture or remember where, what church you were right. part of or anything like that, but we can still pray for Jerry Volubiao's yep. church and pray for Volando's church without knowing. Now, they all know me. Sure. You know, like they would all know Paul. Yeah. Even if they weren't there when he was, they yeah. would have heard about him. But for him to know all of them, so it, it, I don't think it um, drops the power of prayer or the emphasis of prayer. When we pay for people, we may not know every one of their names, yeah. but just to know them. Yeah. You know, the missionaries. I don't know all their kids. Yeah. But I can still pray for their kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. So it's just, uh, I, I, to me, that word yeah. brings some comfort. Yeah. You know, yeah. We don't devalue prayer by praying for a church in Vermont or somewhere else in the world. Yeah. Even if we don't know each other's member, we can give thanks for them all yeah. and the work that God is yeah. doing in their church. Certainly. And I think that's a great reminder that we don't even have to know them. We don't even have to know their situation. We just give thanks for them. Right? And that's, that's, I think, some of the best things that we can do. And that goes back to that statement I made. Like, if you're giving, if you're actively giving thanks for somebody who is a thorn in your side for a season of time, when you give thanks, I mean, I tell my kids, you know, I'm thankful for this about you. I'm thankful for that about you. What have I done? I've thought through their lives. Now, there's things I wish I could change about them. But I've thought through their lives, and I can pick out things that I'm thankful for. doesn't mean I'm thankful for everything but I can pick out things that I'm thankful for. And so I could go around the room right now and pick out things about each of you that I'm thankful for. Some things you may be like, you've noticed that? And I'm like, yeah, it was an encouragement to me. And so Paul, Paul wasn't speaking, as Bruce said, about every person there, but he's giving thanks for them collectively as a group for their faithfulness. And I think in an individual level in the church, um, this, these prayers of thankfulness go a long way in in knitting our hearts together in the person of Jesus Christ. I've sat with many people on Wednesday nights who get a prayer list, and they're like, I don't know these people. I'm like, that's okay. You can still pray for them. You can still go through the list and say, though I haven't seen them, I'm thankful they're a part of Northside Baptist Church. Why? Because they're my brother and they're my sister in Christ. I don't know this missionary who serves in this 
field that I can't even pronounce the name of. But I can give thanks for them. Why? Because they're doing a work for the gospel that I can't do. But as I give, guess what I'm a part of? The work of the gospel that they're doing. And so these prayers of thanksgiving, we'll get into the, this first one next week. I think they're valuable for us to look at because it does open our eyes to how we should pray for one another. And look at that, 7 o'clock on the nose. You guys can't say anything bad about me getting done early. I don't know that you would, but um, any thoughts before we close? Yes, Gina. Yeah. Yeah. Living proof. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, we we <laughs> in my mind I always think, you know, missionaries come in and what do they say? You can support us in these ways. You can pray for us, you can give, you can do all this. We know what they really want. They want our money, right? Why? Because they gotta, they got to get to the field. And we could say that, but what do they know they really need? Our prayers. And so we could write it off as like, oh, that's just the missionary thing to say, pray for me. No, if you pulled these missionaries, most of them would actively say, hey, we'll take your prayers over your support. Why? Because God can do, God can do much with very little. Um, and that just reminds me of what Adrian said um, about Micah Self several years ago. He said, you know, if, if you have to, if you can only take me or Micah self on, drop me and take on Micah. Why? Because God's going to do great things with him. And he said, but you can still keep praying for me. So they value the prayers, right? They value the prayers. Why? Because it, it unites our hearts with God. And I, it, like I said earlier, I enjoy knowing that people pray for me. So if you get a text from me saying, hey, praying for you today, understand that I have actually stopped and I have prayed for you. It's, it's not just this copy and paste text that I have saved in the notes of my phone that I just send out randomly. It's a genuine prayer. Why? Because I love you. And our hearts are knit together in the person of Jesus Christ. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Let's close. We're late now. You guys just... Let's close with a word of prayer, and we'll get you on your way home. God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the, the truth of the gospel and how it does unite us together. We thank you for this letter from Paul um, to the church at Thessalonica. God, we thank you for the truths that he established, even in just the first, the first verse, as he talks about this church being in Christ and in God. And I pray that as we think about uh, our Christian lives, God, that we would base our identity in you, that it's, it's not about what we have done or what we've accomplished, but it's all about what Christ has done in us through the gospel. God, as we've talked about this idea of prayer tonight, I pray that, that we would genuinely pray one for another. The Bible commands us to do that, not just so that we can keep up with our, our Christian quota of, of saying a certain number of prayers every week, but this prayer, this idea of prayer unites our heart with you, but it also unites our hearts towards those that we do life with. And I pray, God, that we would take this seriously, that we would genuinely pray one for another. I pray you keep us safe as we travel home, be with those in our church family who are sick and struggling with with so many big and deep things, God, I, I do thank you for their example through all of this.
And I pray that, um, that you just continue to, to work in their lives to bring healing if that's your will. And God, if it's not your will, keep them faithful until you call them home. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.